As we center ourselves on God's word, I want to share with you this morning, continuing our theme of love languages that Pastor John has been preaching to you. Today's topic is quality time. So I invite you to hear these words from the book of Ecclesiastes found in chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what has been planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. I invite you this morning to continue our time of praise being led by our bell choir. I want to thank you for welcoming me back to your congregation. Ironically, it's exactly one year to the date since the last time I stood here that was not purposeful. Uh, Pastor John and I are good friends, and we discovered we'll both be in D.C. at the same conference this Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. So actually, it was just kind of the least disruptive to pick the Sunday right before we were already going to be out of town to swap pulpits. So this morning, John is in Elkins Park worshiping with my congregation. If you'd like to hear the message that John delivers today, we do not live stream, but we do record our service, and it's available Sunday afternoon and into the future. So if you search for the Elkins Park Presbyterian Church sometime this afternoon on YouTube, you can see what Pastor John offered to my congregation. I want to thank you for the warm welcome to be here to my husband and I and my daughters who's across the street enjoying your children's worship time. For us, it's a nice kind of break. We are campers, so we're up at White Oak Campground for the weekend. It gives us an opportunity for a little bit of away time for us and also the opportunity to re-engage with your congregation. I want to thank you for the hospitality you offer to my family. They often go camping on the weekend without me, because obviously I have to be in my pulpit usually back in Elkins Park. And my husband and daughter have worshipped with you a handful of times throughout the year over the last four or five years. So thank you for that continued welcome. This morning, as we gather together, I am continuing the sermon series that Pastor John has been doing with you on the love languages of God. And now we're focusing on quality time. So before we read scripture, please join me in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the word made flesh in Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that allows your word to endure in our lives today. As we hear your word read and proclaimed, hold us accountable, challenge us, and affirm us so that we can best live into the call you've placed on our hearts as your disciples. We ask this all in the name of Christ. Amen. So this morning I'll be reading from Hebrews chapter 4, and this morning I invite you to hear these words, understanding that we will display and kind of understand better who was receiving them, because the words sound a bit harsh, to be honest. So hear these words from Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest is still open, let us take care that none of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For indeed, the good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. 
For we who have believed entered that rest, just as God had said, as in my anger I swore, they shall not enter my rest, though his works were finished at the foundation of the world. For in one place it speaks about the seventh day as follows, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, it says, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains open for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he says a certain day, today, saying through David much later in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua has given them rest, God would not speak later about another day. So then a Sabbath rest still remains for the people of God. For those who enter God's rest also cease from their labors as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one may fall through such disobedience as theirs. Indeed, the word of God is living and active sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one whom we must render an account. So this morning, when John told me the next step in your love language sermon series was quality time, it may speak more about me as a preacher than you as a congregation that immediately my mind went to the place of Sabbath rest. When I heard quality time, immediately I thought about resting in the arms of God. And that's probably because my congregation in Elkins Park has been doing a Bible study series called Breathe by Priscilla Schreier. And within this study over the last about eight to 10 months, we've been discussing how Sabbath in scripture is an invitation to breathe. So at the moment of creation, God breathed and his spirit went across the world to create everything. And then you and I are given this kind of phrase we use, I just need to take a breather or I need to catch my breath or we need to rest from something that is overwhelming to us. And many times, rest in our culture is seen as something you do only when you are utterly exhausted. So maybe you're an athlete and you engage in some sort of athletic endeavor, you run a marathon, you do a hard workout, and then you rest. You allow your body to recuperate. And rest is kind of just the opposite side of the coin to that physical activity. It is necessary that if I work my arms today, I let them rest tomorrow so I can work my legs and vice versa. Rest is kind of this parallel to the activity, but the activity is the primary goal. The goal is to be athletic, to be active, to burn calories, to build muscle, and then I guess I must rest afterwards. This is part of the package, but not the priority of that activity. In fact, for many of us, rest is kind of perceived as seen almost as a negative. I don't know about you, but I have experienced in my life, I can be busy all day, whether with church things or home obligations or volunteer things, and if no one sees me being busy, but then later in the day, my spouse, my child, my coworker, my neighbor sees me apparently doing nothing, then I have been lazy all day. 
no proof of what I've been doing in the absence of anyone watching, but that productivity feels almost absent or just invisible because in the one moment I've taken a breath, maybe sit down and have a cup of tea or sit down and read the mail, oh no, now I'm doing nothing. And I'm sure you've experienced that too, this perception that if I'm not actively being productive in a way that I put something out and people can see, here's the result of my work, I must be wasting my time. So in scripture, there's the idea of rest is a bit different than simply ceasing to be productive. Because when you cease to be productive, you're idle, you're doing nothing. And we even have words for that that are negative. We say, oh, you're, you're a sloth. Or we say to people, you know, idle time, you know, idle hands, that's dangerous. You, know, you have this kind of this time of, of nothingness. What a waste of your time. Yet when we go back to scripture, and as this letter to the Hebrews reminds us, there's this call all the way back to the moment of creation to see that God rested. God took Sabbath after six days of creating the universe and everything in it. And on the seventh day, God took Sabbath, not to rest because of exhaustion. God certainly wasn't exhausted. God's creative process was probably exactly the opposite. It was probably very energizing. God created everything out of nothing. God made it good. And then God took a full day to sit back and go, wow, look at creation. It is beautiful. Look at my creatures. Look at humanity. And God took that Sabbath time, not so much because God needed a nap, but because God wanted to enjoy all that God had created, to have satisfaction in engaging with creation, to step back and go, wow, look at creation, and to find satisfaction in that. Now, I've never heard anyone accuse God of on the Sabbath, the seventh day, of being lazy, or of God being idle and unproductive. We look at that as part of the creation narrative, that all seven days are important, and all seven days are needed for the fullness of creation to come into existence. So this letter is written to the Hebrews, to people who were raised in the Hebrew Jewish faith, who are now Christians, who certainly know the story that you and I know from the Old Testament of the Exodus, of Moses delivering God's commands to God's people, and then Joshua carrying them on as they journeyed into the Promised Land and settled and inherited the Holy Land. And in that interaction, it may be familiar to you that the people were not always as cooperative as Moses would like them to be. They were a bit hard-hearted, a little bit thick-headed, a little bit resistant. And even the call, the command to Sabbath, which you and I would seem like the most easy rule to follow, the, the do-nothing-and-relax rule, they protested against that. Now, even if you're not a parent, you're probably aware that putting a toddler to bed is difficult. So even if a toddler is utterly exhausted, expended all their energy and needs to sleep, they will fight you tooth and nail. I am not tired. I am not going to bed and kick and scream and be as slippery as possible. Even though it's counterproductive and exactly the opposite of what they need, we know how to fight rest. From an early age as a toddler, even before we're clocking in and out of work, we don't want to rest. For some reason, we're hardwired that we feel like we need to be busy all the time. And sometimes busy with meaningless things. Binge watching TV shows keeps you busy, but it is pointless. 
okay? You can be busy all the time if you wanna be. You can volunteer at every organization, you can take every part-time job, you can have a large family, engage with your community, you can always be busy. It doesn't mean you're satisfied. It doesn't mean you're using your time in a way that we would describe as quality time. So God gives this command. It's the very first command. Before the Ten Commandments, before the 450-odd rules that Moses gives to the journeying ex-slaves as they are in the Exodus, before the Hebrew people get all the directions on how to worship and live and eat and be a community, the first thing they are told is to take Sabbath. That's the most important rule they're given. It's the first rule. And then it plays out. God shows them that God is going to practice what God preaches. And God's going to provide everything they need. So they get food, manna, bread from heaven, six days out of the week. And they gather and have enough. And on the seventh day, there's no manna, but you don't go hungry. Because whatever you collected from the first six days lasts and sustains you for that seventh day. Now we know very famously they don't believe him. And some people go out and try to collect food on the seventh day only to discover there is no food. And those who have hoarded food from the sixth day discover that the food they don't need goes rotten. So God provides what they need, and finally they're convinced. But the seventh day is not a day of idleness, not a day of boredom, not a day of simply ceasing to be productive. The invitation to Sabbath is to set apart holy time. In scripture, we use the word consecrate, when we set something apart, something that's ordinary, but we make it holy. So God says to the people, I'm going to consecrate the seventh day and make it Sabbath. This day is no different on the calendar than any other day. It's no different portion of time. You are still the same people, potentially in the same place. But this day, this part of your week is now set apart to be holy. And if you're gonna make something holy, you gotta do holy things during that time. So it's not about idleness. It's not about boredom. It's not simply about putting the recliner legs up and just laying there all day with your drink in hand watching television. It's about how can we make this consecrated, holy, set-apart time honorable to God and to one another? And how can this quality time then really refresh and renew us so that when we're done with this Sabbath, we have the energy to go on? Now, we rest our bodies after exercise because we need to physically let our muscles recover. We need to have a cold drink, get the electrolytes back in our system, put our feet up, let the blood flow, get back to a place of health. You may have encountered difficult people who after you have a conversation with them, you are exhausted. And you need to kind of take a mental break, a deep breath, maybe step aside and excuse yourself for two or three minutes to recover from the exhaustion, to rest after a difficult encounter. You may also just have a really busy life where it feels like you just run from activity to activity to thing to thing, never really fully engaging or fully paying attention to anything because you're worried about the next thing to get to. And can I leave this event quick enough to get there and the commute and the traffic and everything in between? And God says, I want you to take Sabbath. And Sabbath doesn't necessarily mean that for a full day you're doing nothing. But it means for a full day, the time you're setting apart becomes this quality time. It's time to engage with friends and family, with neighbors, with your community. It's time to be in worship, to be in study, to be in prayer. And it's going to look different for each person. And it might even look different each time you set apart this time. Now, I'm no fool. I know I can't find 24 hours a week to do this. 
And throughout scripture, time and time again, people fail to find a full 24 hours to take Sabbath. But God doesn't change the rule. God doesn't change his command. God still says, you need to take Sabbath. You need to figure this out. Now, if you can find time to reschedule a dentist appointment, if you can find time for a softball game when it gets rained out and you need to find time to squeeze it in the rest of the week, if you can find time to get everybody to everywhere they need to be in a day, you can find time to be with God. You can make it just as purposeful on your calendar. You can even write in Sabbath in your day planner and make sure there's time for that. This letter was written to the Hebrew church because they weren't doing that. They had been preached to. They had read scripture. They knew the history of their Jewish faith. They knew God had commanded them to take Sabbath. So they weren't ignorant of this command. They had been taught time and time again since they were young. Now, as a Christian congregation, they again had been invited to engage in Sabbath. But they didn't. So the first two parts are there. They've been told what to do. The second part, they've absorbed and acknowledged they know what to do. But the third part of the doing is missing. And that's where this call to accountability comes from. This letter is written to them in this portion and says, you know what to do, and for some reason you're not doing it. You know you've been commanded to take Sabbath. You understand what that means. You know it means engaging in community life, in household life. You know it means worshiping God and setting time apart to be holy and different. And yet you're not doing it. And the author of this letter says to them, because of that, you're not going to inherit the benefit of Sabbath. Sabbath is a way in this life to have a glimpse or taste of the life to come. Our Sabbath now, this holy quality time with God, purposely set apart on a regular basis, gives us a little bit of glimpse of what heaven is really like. Heaven is a place where you're unburdened, where the weight is lifted off your shoulder, where there's no demand upon you to be productive. We don't have to prove to anyone that your life has worth and meaning, where you don't have to answer anyone's demands. Heaven is a place of freedom from all the burdens and brokenness of this world, where you can live in eternity, never having to check the clock because there's no time, it's eternity, it's infinite. And you are in the presence of God and your fellow believers to praise, to fellowship, to just be in this place of holiness, of consecration, set apart from all the demands you knew from this life. And God's inviting us, in fact, commanding us to experience a little glimmer of that in the here and now, a little bit of your life. Now, if you can pull off 24 hours every seven days, tell me how. <laughs> But for most of us, that's a bit more than we can pull off. But God invites us to create Sabbath time whenever and however we can. I have a colleague who I served with in a church in northern New Jersey about a decade ago, and he kept a timer like you would use in your kitchen, a kitchen timer with a dial on it, on the dashboard of his car. And he had a commitment, this came to him later in life, later in his ministry, to make this commitment, that every time he got in the car, no matter where he was going, no matter if it was to work or home from work, no matter if he was late or early, that timer was always set to four minutes. He would snap in his seatbelt and start the timer and give himself four minutes of quality time with God, four minutes of consecrated, set-apart, purposeful Sabbath to either be in silence and take a deep breath, maybe to pray, to sing himself a hymn, to do whatever he needed to do 
And he made it a purposeful devotional practice to do that every time he sat in the driver's seat. Now, some weeks that might be a dozen times. Other weeks, maybe it was 30 times. No, maybe it was once that week. Whenever he sat in that driver's seat and that purposely caused him to engage in that discipline. I learned about it because if you were a passenger in his car, you had to do the same thing. If you got in his car as a passenger, he sat down, he said, put your seatbelt on, it's time for four minutes of Sabbath, and he started that timer. And sometimes it was open testimony of sharing the way God blessed you that day. Other times it was sitting kind of in a little bit of awkward silence, knowing that he was in prayer and you were invited to do the same. It wasn't 24 hours once every seven days. It was four minutes, maybe four times a day. But it was more than he was doing otherwise when Sabbath always got pushed to the bottom of the to-do list because there were a million other things that took priority. So what would it look like for you to find a way to make purposeful Sabbath and to understand that Sabbath is different than the rest and recuperation you need from exerting yourself? We all need to sleep. We all need to rest. We all need time just to play and fellowship. And that's important for our physical and mental well-being. But to recharge our spiritual batteries, we need this spiritual rest, this quality time with God. And I encourage you to find a Sabbath practice that you enjoy. If silent prayer is just awkward and uncomfortable for you, don't force that. Then that's a chore, that's a duty, that doesn't feel holy at all. Maybe for you, your Sabbath is opening scripture and reading, or opening a devotional book like The Upper Room, for instance. Maybe it is finding someone, a prayer partner, to be on the phone with or in person with, to talk and offer testimony about how God has blessed you recently, and to pray for one another. Maybe it's taking the prayer list from this congregation and praying over those individuals by name, either individually or in a group. The example from scripture is that Jesus himself even needed to take Sabbath time. There are times when he with his disciples kind of take time, often on a boat, away from people, and often scripture tells us that Jesus even falls asleep during this time. That part of his disengagement, his Sabbath time, his holy time, is to relax to the point that sometimes the disciples have to wake him up to get his attention afterwards. There's also many witnesses in scripture to Jesus taking time alone in prayer, taking this special consecrated set of time and say, no, I need to go and be with my father. I need to be in prayer. And it's a hard thing to do. And we know it's hard because the very first rule that God gave to God's people was take time off to be in my glory. Take time off to be in the presence of God. Take Sabbath time. And to understand we don't do Sabbath well when we are exhausted. If the only time you approach God in prayer, if the only time you open your prayer book, the only time you journal, if the only time you do a devotional, if the only time you call your prayer partner is when you've hit rock bottom and you are just so spiritually, mentally, and physically exhausted, there's nothing left in you. You can't engage in that well. This called this rhythm that once every seven days there's a Sabbath, or maybe in your life, every morning at breakfast, there's a Sabbath for five minutes. Or maybe before bedtime, there's always a Sabbath for 10 minutes. You set a timer for it. It's predictable. It comes often enough that you're not completely depleted. You can engage in it and be purposeful. And you can tell yourself, honestly, this is consecrated, holy time, set aside purposefully, and I'm not wasting my time. And I'm not so exhausted that I'm going to open scripture and fall asleep two verses into my devotional reading. And if someone discovers me keeping Sabbath, and accuses me of doing nothing, I can confidently say, 
I am engaging in quality time with God. This is purposeful, important time. This is time that takes energy and effort. This is time that I am doing because I know it feeds my soul so my cup can overflow so that tomorrow when I do encounter the toddler who won't go to bed or the difficult person in the grocery line or the issue with my boss or the demanding spouse or the to-do list that keeps getting shifted and moved around because the weather isn't cooperating, I have the endurance of spirit as well as mind and body to have the energy to face this. And God loves us, and that's why God gave us Sabbath. He said, here's this way to get this glimpse of what heaven will be like. Here's this little taste of being completely unburdened and free to be in the full presence, to step back and not only look at God and creation, but one another and go, wow, let me take it all in. Let me be fully present and let this recharge me in a way that I can then move forward, being more obedient to this amazing call that God has given to me to experience a little bit of the hereafter in the here and now. Please join me in prayer. Creator God, we thank you for your amazing witness to the need for rest, for consecrated, holy, quality time for you. We thank you that this time is not just for you at the end of creation, but also you invite us in Sabbath to participate as well, to find time to be aware of your voice, to find time to celebrate with our fellow believers, to find time for prayer and study. May we make this quality time a priority in our lives so that we can be refreshed and renewed to best reflect your love to the world and allow ourselves a glimpse of your kingdom. We ask this all giving thanks in the name of our risen Lord Jesus. Amen.